Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Books Boys, live from the Grand Library, the Dean and PJ. He's PJ. Hello there. I'm the Dean, and we are the Books Boys. This is the Books Boys show. Get it? Buy it? Books. Books. I cut you off when you were going to say the one and only. I I messed up. 20 20 months in, and I I messed up. Oh, no, you messed up. (laughs) How how could you? And I was going to start off with my definition of books, which I believe I've mastered at last because I've I've been in this for a long time, everyone. And I believe. A book is something vegan. Am I right about this? It's something I think you, can, so. you can eat it. I think you worms, can. There are bookworms, and I believe those are pesticides. Uh, not pesticides. I think they're pesticle fellows that eat books. It's a new trend lately. So you buy books to eat. So I've been looking in restaurants, and um, I didn't find much. Uh, I didn't find much Shakespeare mm. in in my Italian restaurants. Uh, I'm afraid. So. Um, well, Shakespeare's geography of Italy never was very reliable. But if exactly, you go to yes, an English maybe. restaurant, maybe you'll find some. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'll find something false Italian. Exactly. So, <laughs> ask me a fake Italian restaurant. The fake Italian restaurant. Exactly, and then you'll find it right there. Well, we're joined yes. as always by Little Alfred. There the he is. And, and I'm distracted. And I'm distracted because before we started, we were we were singing um, some some book related refrains and. Uh, our new catchphrase, let's get lit up, uh, referring to let's literature. Let's get so. lit. <laughs> exactly. Let's get lit. So everyone get that. That could be the new uh, t-shirt, by the way. Just let's get lit. It's almost as popular as, is this a holiday? Not quite. As, as, I, I believe, is this a holiday might have a second wave <laughs> of popularity now that the holidays are actually beginning. So I, I hope think so. Summertime. So I hope, guys, just you can get the t-shirt online. You can actually buy a t-shirt uh, from Books Boys. And... Um, I don't know. Can we get the T-shirt for? Um, um, is I'm, wor- I'm working on. I'm working on that one because Patreon What's... will only allow one T-shirt. But what you can do is, if you go to Patreon.com/slash/booksboys, you can get a normal Booksboys T-shirt on some of the donation levels, um, and on some of the lower levels, you can get our show early. You can get uh, Playboys. Actually, in the last month, we released two episodes of Playboys because we did our normal stuff and we also did a playboys extra with alex so we did our julius caesar uh finally came out and at we, last yeah we, we, did, we did a lot of with alex we, we did, did a lot, lot of promo, promo for, for that for jc jc and in fact so much promo that we shortened it down to jc and it's very obvious for us that's not about the man who who you know walked the ocean or it's about the other man who walked the earth called julius caesar so it's a fun episode. And we, yeah, as you mentioned, we also did one 
we fact, read a Norwegian play together. In fact, two, actually. Indeed. We did Doll's House and The Newly Married Couple. I'm one of those who released for free uh, for a few days or for a week, actually, on the, on the podcast feed. To celebrate the Norwegian national holiday. So there you go. So all your Norsk friends out there, ahoy. That's what I say. Yeah. And also, interviews from the Vault 13. I interviewed a country musician, Dan Reardon, many years ago, and I released that as well. So this is usually you're getting about a show a week on the old, on the old Patreon. Nice. So, guys, sign up, get it, listen to it, and buy a T-shirt. From- That's the catchphrase. You got it in one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, let's so get the- stuck in because um, I read too much this month, but we're not going to cover as it all. As usual. As usual, what? but I read way too much. I'll tell you why. I'm halfway through my ninth book this month already. Your ninth book? Yeah. Now, obviously, we're on the last day of the month, so the one I'm halfway through is going to carry into next month. Okay. Um, I'm also going to keep another one for next month. And I read some poems of Lorca, which I'm going to do separately in a little poetry pals. Ah, so what that really? means is we've only got six books to cover. Thank goodness. So last month, I believe it was last month, or was it the months before that we covered Miguel Hernandez? That's right. Great Spanish poet. And now Federico Garcia Lorca is from the same time period a bit earlier. Um, yeah, we'll get into it. We'll get into that uh, too, I suppose. But um, I highly recommend, just saying from now on, both, both Lorca and Miguel Hernandez. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about six books and people will be glad to know that we're almost finished with Honoré de Balzac. Uh, I think we had a lot of Balzac. Well, I, are you sure about that? Because I believe he did write about 200 novels. So I hope he didn't <laughs> read all the novels. No, all but I'm almost finished on, on the little run of Balzacs that I'm getting from the library. <laughs> oh, you're not doing the complete works. You're not doing the whole I'm human not, comedy. No. <laughs> oh, okay. But I, I did start out this month by reading, um, by reading some Balzac and I read The Country Doctor. There's not a lot to say about this one, if I'm being really honest. Oh. It's a very boring and uninteresting um, book. Oh, no. Essentially, this chap goes, and we, we find out at the very end that he's gone under a fake identity, and he goes to meet a little country doctor. And I guess this must be part of the scenes from Country Life. Um, oh. and I need to, he... explain, to explain to the ones who have missed it, um, Balzac wrote the human comedy, La Comedie Humaine, in contrast to the divine comedy of Dante. So the comedy... Human, the human comedy is not necessarily always a comedy. It's basically a realistic portraiture of early 19th century France. Am I right about this? Yeah. Uh, of all aspects, divided into city, um, city portraitures, country ones. So this one is subdivided into the country, uh, ch- country stories of the whole divine, sorry, the whole human comedy. Yeah. Okay. This particular one is 1833. Mm-hmm. Um. And it is part of the scenes from Country Life, as I say. Uh, it's just this guy goes to see this doctor and the doctor, um, Benassis, basically what he says is he's not in it for money. So he says, like, if you're rich, um, you will pay me well. And if you're not rich, I wish for nothing. So he doesn't set a price for his work. You know, he just says, look, a rich person will afford to pay me, a poor person can't. And there we go. I'm not, I'm not interested in kind of um, setting prices for my work. But what he actually does is, is more than just what a doctor would do. He kind of takes over this little town and he improves their, their market economy, their agriculture. He just, he just takes over like a kind of mayor of the town and, and gets everything working, he improves the, the infrastructure, roads, just everything, and really takes this little rural village and kind of modernizes it. Well, sounds, good. sounds good so far, actually. So it's an altruistic... Yeah, well, here's yeah. why it's not good. We don't see any of that happen. They just told oh. us he did all of these things, by the way. 
So, right. so nothing okay. happens throughout the 300 pages of this book. Oh, no. And there's some bits that I don't agree with where he talks a lot about capitalism and markets and exchanges. And when a country's in full production and the production is balanced, it's consumption, it's necessary to create fortunes and increase public wealth. And there's a lot of little spiels about, you know, how we need production and manufacture and industrial revolution and capitalism, which obviously don't sit well with a dirty commie like myself. But this oh, indeed. So, so uh, I suppose this this particular novel was not among Lenin's or Stalin's favorites. I, no, I would I would say not. It wasn't in the Soviet Union. Okay. And there's a chap Tabaru who they kind of refer to as being a bit of a scoundrel, and he comes in and he lays the case out and he says, "Look, here's something that happened. I am a cheat and a beggar and a thief, as you know. And here's the set of circumstances. And at the end, I didn't pay the guy. What should I do?" And he says, "Well, you're in the wrong, of course." And he says, are you sure I'm in the wrong? I won't win this at the court. He says, absolutely not. He says, ha-ha, well, I tricked you because I reversed positions. I'm actually the other guy, and now you've just told me that I will win in the courts. And they're like, ah, you <laughs> scoundrel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it does so, have some of the Balzac in There's a, li- a little bit, yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it funny. it's just tricky that nothing really happens in the book. And we find out at the mm. end, the guy visiting him wants his help, and that's fine. But he, he did it under a false identity. And I don't really know why he bothered, because the chap's very willing to help people anyway. Um, And then at one point, he talks about how everything will eventually turn into monarchy and the the dynasties of kings. But, you know, I believe in the iron law of oligarchy. So I I think that every political system will turn into oligarchy, not monarchy. Um, And then he follows the Anna Karenina method. Oh, no. Because they say to to fill pages, because nothing's happening in, in the damn book. So how do they fill pages? They say to the stranger agricultural manual not quite they say i heard you once went on campaign with napoleon and he says i did indeed would you like me to waste 50 pages telling you everything i know about (laughs) napoleon (laughs) oh lord okay so we just have a lot of that so look it's not um it's not great okay but if you're interested in really racking up your balzac you know kind throw it in i guess but it's it's a passable one does it at least make good use of realism? Is it like in the sense of, you know, he's one of the fathers of realism. Is it very detailed analysis of the society or at least even detailed? Yeah, I mean, uh, we do, like we do get to see of- the society. We see the way this doctor has helped the society. Yeah. And it, it, it's nice to see some of the details that we do see. Um, and if you're a big fan of Balzac or of that type of literature, you might find some merit in it. But honestly, like, it, don't make it your first Balzac. You know what I mean? There's no need. Yeah. I mean, we, our first Balzac was uh, Old Father Goriot or yeah. Le Père. Uh, that, that, that might still be your It's still, your it's still the one to start on, I think. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So the don't library... Forget, oh, go ahead. No, don't forget, guys, that Balzac, he wrote every day. He just woke up around in the evening time, drank coffee, kind of stayed in bed and wrote till six o'clock in the morning and then fell asleep again. It, didn't have the most healthy lifestyle and probably at some point quality must decrease if you're writing every day just yeah. stop. i mean you know, i'm surprised he wrote so much good stuff you know that's that's all i have to say about balzac yeah it's i mean that that's, kind of I think that's a very fair comment i then yeah. read a second balzac from just a couple of years before 1830 and this one i prepared oh. a lot more um, and right. this one however was more it's called the House of the Cat and Racket, okay? Oh. But actually, the collection I got, these are these are novellas. So there's actually a couple of different novellas within right. the collection. So they may not okay. all be from 1830, but that's the, the, the volume that I had. Mm-hmm. Cat and Racket itself, just to sum it up very, very briefly, um, there's a nice chap who's got, um, he's got a, a guy working for him. And he, mm-hmm. he's, very, he's a very kindly master. And he says, look, I'm very good with you. 
but I think you're not being good with me because you're not telling me the secrets. I've told you the secrets of the till and how to run the shop. You're not telling me the secrets of your love life, good sir. I believe that you're in love with my daughter and I'm happy to elevate your position in society. And it turns out he loves the wrong daughter. There's two daughters. Oh no. And then it's a shock. You can't go with the youngest daughter because the oldest one has to be married first. So we get into all, all of that kind of thing. But he reconciles them to it. And in the end, he says, okay, you can marry the daughter and you'll be very happy. And I'll, you, you'll, I think he's inheriting the shop as well or some money from it or something like that. So it's mm-hmm. nice to see good people who aren't trying to swindle each other, which you get in a lot of these books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's well, a nice, good. kind master. Yeah, because the the divine, I keep saying divine comedy, I, uh, the human comedy, it's really a lot of the themes in it are money and manipulation of power. So it does repeat in all the novels in some sense. Often they're poor characters or they're trying to uh, act as if they're rich and they're trying to get power over someone. And yeah, yeah that's just something like, you know, this kind of social ladders off. It just repeats itself in many folds in um, all of these works. And remember, the human comedy, I think, consists of about 90 novels and more than 40 unfinished novels and a few plays. No, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, plays, there's a lot. There's a lot that are just there's a title a or, or a fragment, kind of not not a not a book that's actually done as well. Yeah, I think about 30, exactly. 40, as you say. Yeah, it's still worth reading because this really started the whole kind of big masses of novels that are linked. You know, this whole kind of historical kind of novels that became oh, yeah. popular later on. This started. Now, listen out for it because I'm going to just touch on a couple of these um, novellas, and you're going to catch a very important link in a moment. Oh, um, but that's really all I have to say about the actual main one, How's the Cat and Racket. It's just a nice story. The other sister goes off and marries some kind or some aristocrat anyway, and she's a lot so an, an artsy type, and she's a lot less happy with them because he realizes a year into the marriage, well, we've got nothing in common. You know, you were pretty and I married you, but I'm an artsy type and you're you come from like a merchant type background and we don't have anything in common. Yeah. And then the, you know, the granny or the aunt says, you seriously let uh, you let your husband lock himself in rooms with naked women and you're fool enough to believe that he's drawing them and doing nothing else, madam. Um, <laughs> I took offense at that as someone who does do life drawing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. I can imagine. <laughs> but no, it was uh, it was a funny one to some extent. Um, second one in the series is about a dance and there's nothing to say about this. It's a very, very short one where they're arranging a dance. The only reason I bring it up at all, the dance at Sioux. The only reason I mention it is because at one point in a totally throwaway line, they mention, what have you got against Monsieur de Rastignac? Uh And they say, well, Madame de Nucingen has made him her banker. And then they just move on. So it's just a little throwaway line to some of the, the old characters that we know from Peregorio and from the other um, books in the in the collection. Okay, okay. Then my favorite, The Vendetta. So this oh. one is very nice. This girl comes into her father and the father's very possessive and he's very much, um, you're not allowed to ever leave me. You can't have a husband. You can't have anyone. Stay with me. Your dad loves you. But he's very, very loving, but very controlling and possessive at the same time. Okay. And he eventually says, you can marry when I'm dead. And she says, well, why do you want me to wish for your death, father? You know, <laughs> because I've met a guy that I really like. So they introduce the guy. And of course, doesn't it turn out that the guy Ginevra likes is an old vendetta that the family had against each other. And they'd, kill, they'd had murders between the two families going back generations. And so the father disowns her and kicks her out with the, with the husband and then, um, well, I'm not going to spoil the ending, but it's very, very, very sad and tragic. Oh, um, okay. But this was one. Of, this was the best one I, in the collection, the Vendetta. 
just because of a story or did you yeah was it also yeah yeah it's the kind of story you would like it the story is very good the tragic ending is very sad very you know very balzacian really um, yeah totally but also just the whole thing about the vendetta that they don't realize this guy luigi is the same one from the the other family is kind of funny when it first comes up as well so it's kind of tragic and comical and, and does a lot of things at once and i that sounds I really more like that sounds more like Le Pergorio kind of stuff. Yeah. Kind of but at one point, the father's going to kill his daughter by, by, with a sword. He doesn't, but at one point, he's considering it because she's in love with, with the, the rival uh, family. You yeah, know? you like that Dumas kind of, <laughs> Dumas kind I, of story. I do. I really do. So there's a couple of brief, other brief ones, but that was the, those are the main kind of two or three. Oh. So that is how far I got with Balzac. And we've got one last Balzac next month, and then we're putting him to rest for a good while. Um. Until you start the the rest of the night or whatever it is. Yeah. Okay. Would you like to go ahead with one? Maybe maybe you could start a whole separate show, just like Balzac. Every Balzac month, boys, monthly Balzac boys. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the first book I read, uh, a lovely book. Have you ever heard of the Moomin Trolls? No. So the Moomin Trolls are um, they're, they're from uh, Tove Jansson, who's a Swedish Finnish author. And they're written in the 40s. So basically, they're just they're this kind of like troll-like figures that live between Finland and, and Sweden somewhere. And they're based, they're based on Scandinavian uh, figures. And in fact, trolls, they do appear in Peergint von Henrik Ibsen. Okay. Our, our big we talked hero. about. Indeed, yeah. Uh, but anyway, this is a, a famous children's book in Scandinavia and also has been translated in many languages. And I read the second one, which was Comet in Moominland. Now, the reason why I read the second one is because most people in the series of nine books, most people start with the second one. The first one wasn't published till way later on into other languages. Right. So you start from number two, usually. Start from number two is this Comets in Moominland. And this is a very lovely book, I'm telling you. This is a really philosophical uh, kids' book, beautifully written and just very strange, actually, in, in a very positive sense. It's a kind of book... When you ask me, for example, what kind of book would you like to have written? This would be among them, I'd say. Um, yeah, when you read Tove Janssen, you, you do think about Astrid Lindstrom, for example, who wrote P.P. Langstrom. Mm, sure. We also covered last year. And in fact, both characters appear in the 40s, just after the Second World War. So they're very parallel characters. Um, whereas Pippi uh, Longstocking, sorry, I said Langstrom, uh, whereas Pippi Longstocking is a very kind of independent strong character the, the characters in Moominland they're all flawed and right. that's a beautiful thing about it they all kind of have their strengths and weaknesses so we start off um, in Moomin, Moomin uh, Valley and uh, the Moomin family they're just settling in into a new house and they're living with this kind of kitten kind of like figure called Sniff and Sniff he goes off to to wander a lot and um, he finds things in the forest and he then plays with with the main character, um, with Moomin. And they go off in their little ventures. But something happens that, that disturbs them, which is that a comet is flying into Earth. And everyone's very worried because it's a huge comet. And a friend of them told them that this will destroy the Earth. And they become very worried because Moomin and Snifter are basically these young childlike figures. So the parents, 
to put them on rest actually do what most parents don't do. They actually let them leave their house and go on in their adventure because they think an adventure will cure their, their fear. Now, and this is very interesting because this was written in 1946. So for me, it's a bit like, you know, kids worrying about the H-bomb and uh, the atomic bombs and everything. It's uh, that fear was probably present in the 40s. Yeah. Anyway, so these kids, they don't stay at home worrying. They go off on their adventure. They go on a raft and they head towards the sea and they head towards the observatory. They know somewhere is an observatory. It's not explained how they know it. They just kind of seem to have this intuition. And they head off to the lonely mountains where there's an observatory. And there they meet a very strange figure. They meet Snufkin, who must be one of the best characters ever created for children's literature. Right. He's basically this little wizard kind of elf uh, fellow who lives a very minimalist life. He kind of just, he doesn't own anything. He just uh, lives on a raft when they meet him and he's has, he has a harmonica and a hat. And it's just kind of, He's just kind of living life. And he decides to join them spontaneously and they go off together to go to the observatory to observe the comet. Now, and I find this interesting. So you got three figures. You got Moomin, who's, a, who's very kind of, he's very much a child. So he's mm. kind of, he decides, when he wants to do this, he does this, but he also gets bad humored. But in his friend Snifkin, the cat, he always wants to possess things. So he's in actually, he's kind of in love with a, with a normal kitten, I should say. And he says, well, if I, I want to have you, I want to own you, please come to me. And Snufkin, on the other hand, actually teaches Snufkin that, um, that you don't need things. How, how are you not getting confused with Snufkin and Snufkin? Uh, I, I just got confused there, I think. Um, <laughs> it is very confusing, actually, I admit. Um, <laughs> all right, but aside that, though, I, there's a lovely passage which really, which really impressed me. It's Snifkin, hopefully getting, no, not Snifkin, Sniff. That's why I got confused. Sniff, the, <laughs> the little kitten fellow. He goes into a kind of, a, he kind of goes into a forest and he discovers like red diamonds. Okay. He says, oh, wow, red diamonds. Oh, I, I can at last buy all the things I've wanted. I can press my little kitten friend and she'll be mine. And he's always like wanting to have, wanting to own. And he's like collecting all the diamonds. He can't even bring them up because it's like, he's so bogged down by all the diamonds. He, he can't even go up the, the hill again. And all of a sudden, like this huge lizard appears behind him. And terrified, he escapes, leaving every single diamond behind. And he's, when he's back on top, um, Snufkin, the wizard fellow, and, and Moomin, they didn't even bother going down. So he got Sniff, the kitten fellow who wants to own everything, just crying and saying, oh, I, I, I wish I had those diamonds. And Snufkin, the wizard fellow. This is very confusing. It is. Snufkin, <laughs> Snufkin the wizard. Let's just call him Snufkin the wizard. He says to him, there are, may, there are way nicer things in life than carrying luggage around with you. I like to keep things in my head and then I can revisit them whenever I want to. So he's kind of showing him that you don't need things, that owning things bogs you down, makes you heavy, makes you always worried. And this really reminds me a lot of the Tao Te Ching. Now, if you remember the Tao Te Ching mm-hmm. the, from Lao Tzu, 2,500-year-old meditation book where he teaches the same thing. When you own things, you get scared of, of losing it. And this fear also causes depression. And e- even um, in, in the lovely book that I want to recommend, um, A Short History of Humankind uh, by Harari, he discusses that depression seems to have appeared 
and humanity around the same time they started owning things. Okay. But like possession and owning things seems to like leave you with anxiety. Makes sense and, to, um, to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that went off. The story went a bit after, but I just wanted to highlight that this whole book is really a children's book with a lot of philosophy and observations like these. Um, without spoiling the ending, they go to the observatory, they see the comets. It's a bit of an anticlimax because nothing happens then at all. They just, just said, okay, we saw the comets. Um, we know the scientist tells them exactly when it's going to hit. It's going to destroy Earth. And they just go back. They go back depressed to their home. And this is where it goes really strange. Um, the comet is coming closer. The sky color has changed into red. The ocean has disappeared. And they travel through. They travel back home, not by boats, because there is no ocean. They have to use big, long sticks. And they kind of jump over the muddy floor of the ocean. And it's really bizarre. Um, the story ends very strangely. I won't, I won't tell you. Because I don't tell you anything. But let me just say this that they kind of, it kind of it's a bit like in the film Don't Look Up, which I really recommend, where it's also the, the world is going to the end. They kind of just decide that it's okay that they're going to die. Which is a very strange thing for a children's book. But they just go in they go in trust, I like to say, because the wizard fellow, he's got a little trick up his sleeve. Uh, he's got something which is basically anti is anti-flame. So it's it, this might save them from being baked alive from the big comet. So they decide to go into a cave, which Moomin and Sniff discover at the beginning of the book, and they think they might survive the uh, destruction of Earth. Um, th- something unusual then happens, which I don't want to spoil, but I can tell you it doesn't end up depressing. So it's, it's still with children's book ending. Okay, good. But, but it's quite a lovely um, philosophical ending. I think the message of the book, if anything, is... Um, just, you know, rather than becoming anxious, just love every moment. And especially if you know you're going to die, it's the whole memento mori. It's like, mm. you know, remember that you must die, so live now. So they really do live carpe diem, memento mori. Are we sure that the, the message of the book hasn't got something to do with confusing similar names? It might have to do with that as well. Then, yeah. <laughs> That's that the real the moral of the tale. That's the second message. Get your names right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, I love the book, so I really recommend it. Um, I didn't want to spoil too much about the ending, but it's just going to leave. You're fascinated by these characters because you got like trolls figures, you got like talking animal figures. You know, I love all that to be honest. I yeah, mean, that's yeah. why I love, for example, Winterset Hollow or about a Potomac Express my novel. Yeah, I always love these these animal figures that represent maybe also a virtue or vice. They're often very symbolic, and um, you know, the strange thing, the strange thing of all, is that. In the 40s, um, I was just reading. I'm not sure how scientific this is. This, this might be a bit pseudoscientific. But supposedly an astronomer did discover a comet that could have destroyed Earth in, in, 19, in the mid-40s. Right. And uh, it just, it just, managed, it just um, went off Earth. So it didn't go near Earth in the end. But um, it's just a strange coincidence. Tova Janssen supposedly, after hearing that, said she didn't know about it. But it seemed a very strange coincidence because mm, yeah. it was released almost in the same year this observation was. It's very interesting. Just uh, for LBQ, LBQT uh, listeners out there, Tova Janssen was a very open uh, lesbian in a time where it actually considered illegal in Finland. And mm. she was, comes from a bohemian background and she just openly said this. And I think there are definitely some some... Um, themes of that in the book as well. So it's very popular. 
um, oh. with the LBQT, LBQT um, crowds. Highly recommended for everyone out there. Totally. Cool. Sounds good. Well, before I go into anything else I've read, we might as well quickly just say hello to anyone listening on Radio Oxen or also on the TNC Podcast Network. And thanks to all our friends. And of course, booksboys.com is where you can get a website where you've got links to all our social medias, our Patreon and all the other things that we're involved with, different places you can listen to the show. We've both been moving around a little bit, though. I don't know if we mentioned you've relocated to Germany. I have indeed. I'm in Dresden now. Lovely city. I believe it was used to be called the uh, par- the East Eastern Paris. It used to be called before the war. Then it was destroyed and rebuilt by Italian architects. That's the mm. irony. And it's actually beautiful. It's a beautiful city. Highly recommended. And I love culture. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the, I keep, I keep, I keep. Uh, we posted a video of this. I keep crossing like old telephone booths where people put their books in. Yeah, and you can just take them. I, I've I've seen at least two of them. And there's always like books that there, people always leave like their books in boxes and they put them on the street and you can just take them. Mm. You put a video of that very popular on our Instagram. We really took off on Instagram there. I think in the last really? month we've gone from 900 to 1200 followers. Wow. Some of those videos were getting like 20,000 views, things like that. So we've got well, very thank, popular. Thank you very much, everyone. For um, That was just a spontaneous video. I wasn't expecting that. Mm. Thanks to Alisa. She just filmed me and... Thank you. And also, I have not moved anywhere, but I have a lot of little trips planned, um, oh. mostly mostly to different parts of Spain, little tours around Spain in the next month or two. And yeah, our, Playboys, uh, our Playboys co-host Alex has moved off back to United States for a few months. So we're all... Ah, but he'll be back, don't worry. He'll be back. Don't worry. We're, all, we're all getting around and, and moving and doing various things. We, we are a mutual friend. We're very fond of him. We don't want him too far away. He's at the other side of the pond, but he'll be back very soon. Don't worry. <laughs> So the next things that I did, I read two Spanish. Well, sorry, no, I didn't read any Spanish books. I read two books oh. in Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> None of them were okay. Spanish books. So the first one. Can I guess um, Dumas, Dumas, Balzac? No. Dumas, Patrick <laughs> Suskind, El oh, Perfume. <laughs> I'm very amused that you read a, a German book, not in English. Well, it will be better translated probably, but in yeah. Spanish. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know where this book came from. It's been on my bookshelf for some months. And I, I don't love, know. I love that book. Did it magically uh, appear? Maybe it was part of the last care package of books that Valerie the Pigeon Detective sent me. Maybe I bought it sometime and forgot about it. I don't know, but it's been on the shelf. So eventually I just decided to read a German book in Spanish. Mm. Well, yeah, very not in English yet. Fair First enough. time I've ever read a German book, actually. Really? Okay. I, well, that I can think of. That I can think of, yeah. Patrick Zuskin, just a bit of uh, background information for everyone, is renowned in German for being a real eccentric, like a proper reclusive Mm. eccentric. He actually doesn't show himself to the public, really. He's released only really, I think, three novels. Not only, but he's released three novels and some essays. He keeps himself quite minimal, but the stuff he's written is gold's worth. And I I think the perfume is amazing. This is a bit more modern for my usual tastes. We're talking as recently as 1985. 80s, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But I, I really loved it. I really loved it. So we've got this chap, Grand Wheel, and he essentially is, um, we, we see a little bit at the beginning about when he's born and the, the kind of mm. the midwife thinks he's got a demon kind of possessing him and the <laughs> priest or whoever says, ah, don't be silly. Like, don't worry about that. And then we, we skip ahead a little bit. 
and he encounters this guy Baldini and he's working for him in a, in a perfumery. Um, and the start, you sympathize with the guy because he's very mean to him and he kind of treats him like a dog, you know, and like a servant and a slave. And he's, he's very rough with him. And, and I was always kind of telling him off and, you know, telling him to shut up and, you know, don't interrupt me. You know, you're, you're beneath me and all this kind of thing. So you feel for him at the beginning, like he's being treated badly, but he is learning the trade of, of the perfume. At the beginning of the book, it makes it clear that it's um, it shows a very cruel depiction of, of French society, of society in general. It's, it's really yeah. kind of, yeah. It's it kind of more like the Thomas Hobbes uh, perspective uh, of humanity, yes. not Rousseau. It's really like man, man is wolf to man. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we we see that, and we see that he wants to learn about the perfumes, and that he really has a good, keen sense of smell, and he can smell people, and like you know, there's this girl that he's in love with because he can smell her, and and he he's really attached to that, and he has the best nose in Paris, they say. Yeah, literally. So, well, literally, yeah. So there's this, this popular um, perfume going around called Amor Isaike. I don't know, I guess that translates to love and psyche. And yep. they want to try to um, recapture that because that's the, that's the current brand. And Baldini's a bit old. And he says, well, in my day, we were, people were happy with just violet fragrance. And now they want all this love and psyche. And um, Just to make clear, was this before the French Revolution that was depicted or after? I can't remember now. Uh, oh, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just, I remember it. It's kind of like turmoil. It's around mm. the corner, yeah. But just um, Girl on Wheels says, well, I can, I can remake this perfume, and he makes it perfectly. So then yeah. they realize, right, you can make perfume for us. Um, yeah. But at the beginning, all he can do is follow instructions. He's great. He can smell something and say, I can remake this. But he can't Any, design anything, his own yeah. recipe, you know. Yeah. So he works through some things. He gets very sick, and he eventually convinces Baldini to let him out of kind of, not his contract per se, but to, to let him go. And, and, and he says, like, I'm doing this, this work, but I can't figure out how to really distill the essence of something. And they realize, oh, there's other, other techniques that I haven't taught you that other people can teach you. So off he goes. Then there's like a, some kind of disaster in the town, like a river floods or something, and some houses fall into the river, including Baldini's, and he's never seen again. I thought Baldini was going to return later as the villain, but I was completely wrong. He's gone, and Grandwheel is the villain. <laughs> yeah. Um, totally, totally right and look, I'm not going to go massively into what happens, but I think that everyone should read this one, to be honest. There's, mm. there's parts where he's living up a mountain as a recluse. There's parts where there's murders of all the young girls in the town. And, you know, he's distilling their essence, essentially, to make... Um, it was very surreal, that. To make a perfect perfume. There's a part where they're going to they're gonna finally capture him and arrest him, but he releases this kind of killer perfume smell that brainwashes it's, the whole town it gets very it's strange amazing I, I think that scene that scene without spoiling it uh, i was 18 when i read it and i never oh, i was almost going to spoil something but let's just say let's just let me spoil it just slightly um like i've never read like any depiction of an orgy like scene yeah that, that happens and there's that a full orgy depicted chaotic. yes um and i thought that was uh, but it's very kind of I mean, it becomes so dark, and especially the cave part. The cave part is like really like he's in, he's like it's like he's like in Plato's cave or like in Nietzsche's Zarathustra's cave. You know, literally just he's just there and he's just enjoying smell. He's just smelling. He, yeah. he doesn't live. He just smells and for 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 like ages. It's, a, it's almost a curse to him at one point, you know. But but what he wants to do is nothing admirable. At the beginning, we think he wants to just learn to be a good, the best perfumer in Paris. But he kind of yeah. gets this obsession with capturing 
the um, essence of like these beautiful young girls to the point where the whole mm. town have got to lock up their daughters literally for months you know and it, it gets a bit crazy <laughs> yeah it's absolutely insane um yeah i mean no wonder this was um kurt cobain's favorite novel supposedly uh i did not know, <laughs> you know that I mean? yeah that's i mean it makes sense i i like to also say something about the original german novel um it's one of the most beautiful beautifully written books in right. german as well so as well as that as well as the story being incredibly weird and unusual the the prose is is mm. sublime actually Wow, well, I'm glad you read it. Um, highly recommend it. The well. next, the next book that I read, also in Spanish, um, but also not Spanish. And you'll notice that oh. I'm moving forward in time here. We've just oh, yeah, hit okay. 2005. How often do what? I read a Naughty's book? It's Lunar Park Good. by Brett Easton Ellis, which I also that read is, in Spanish. That is so, that's crazy because I was just going to say that um, I was just going to mention, and I didn't, that if you like perfume. If you like Patrick Zuskin, you'd probably like American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I'm wondering, like, you know, Patrick Zuskin, you know, Patrick, I'm wondering maybe the 1991 novel, um, Patrick Bateman was influenced by. Well, PJ, how's your, how's your German translation with names? Does Zuskin translate to Bateman? Yeah, you see, uh, it, it doesn't. It, it translates <laughs> literally as sweet child, which oh. might be, it might be so ironic that he's called sweet child. They just make uh, Bateman. Well, this book is you know it's interesting now, the hold on a second. Is, now very amused because now you read an english book translating this i know i don't know what's going on <laughs> um the pacing i don't i don't know where this one came from either but the <laughs> the pacing is weird in this book the okay. first maybe quarter i was really bored and i thought oh, oh goodness why am i reading this oh no um because it's a it's a fake autobiography. So the first quarter I think ah, has more that. real details before the crazy stuff starts happening. So it's just dull. And then it really picks up and I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm really loving it. But still, by the last quarter, I'm like, okay, we, we can finish now. This is getting oh, you know, no. we don't need this to keep dragging. Um but I, but I did enjoy it overall. I should I've got to be honest. You know, I mean I like I like the guy, right? I read American Psycho. I love the yeah. book, I love the movie, you know. So this is essentially the grittier version of American Psycho, because American Psycho, it's very, it's very overly romanticized. You know, look yeah, at look yeah. at look at the movie Patrick Bateman. You, you're he's a bad guy, but you love him. Well, this is similar, but you don't like him. So Brady oh. Snell's he's not great with his family, with his kids. He's cheating on his wife. He's taking drugs. He's doing all the same similar things that Patrick Bateman did, but you realize that it's kind of depressing and not fun. Oh. Um, he also talks about the book, about American Psycho. So he's in the book. He's playing a fictional version of himself. It is an autobiography, but it's yeah. fake. So he talks about, you know, American Psycho and the success of that. You know, he's going and doing interviews, all this kind of stuff. And he mentions that he based Patrick Bateman partially on his own dad. And he had a bad relationship with his dad. Now, not that his dad was like a Wall Street stockbroker, but just some of the, the negative aspects of the character rather than the superficial kind of aspects. So... Um, there's some stuff like that that comes in he's there with his partner two kids one of which is is his and one of which isn't but he's raising them anyway and he's good intentions and he's trying to do a good job um but they say like you're always in a bad temper you know you're just not a nice person they go into like some couples therapy he's not sure if he gets on well with the kids he's struggling with certain elements of just domestic life basically um and with his dad as well then he starts to notice all this weird stuff like the house they live in is like 307 and 307 was the time that his dad died and all this kind of stuff and there's all these weird coincidences and he thinks there's a curse on the house and he meets this guy clayton who wants to be um instructed by him 
uh, because he's also teaching one day a week at the school, literature. And then they realize, well, there's no student called Clayton in the school who is this guy. And Clayton turns up to a party dressed as Patrick <laughs> oh, Bateman and they can't try find him. They can't track him down. And yeah. um, the girl that he's cheating with, Amy Light, appears with Clayton and then they never see her again. And then all these kids in the town are going missing. And it's like, what is going on? This is all crazy. And then does his son know about the missing kids? It's just a lot of weird stuff happening. But ties to American right. Psycho again with people going missing and murders and things, you know? Yeah. yeah. And the detective, Donald Kimball, the same name as the detective in American Psycho, oh. turns up and he's investigating. And then this guy's phoning the police saying there's like monsters in the house and the police think it's just his dog and all this kind of stuff. So there's some supernatural elements. He thinks that something's connecting him with his dad he gets like a, a seance what's it, an exorcist type person to help him and of course it turns out that the house isn't haunted he is haunted he is the problem um mm. and it's like personal issues and personal demons and all this kind of stuff so there's a lot of just wacky stuff going on but it's grounded in reality at the same time right okay interesting idea so like starting off as a biography and then maybe going beyond that into into fiction, yeah. I mean, like, um, you know, he was very influenced by, um, he does mention that he loves Ulysses from James Joyce. He, he said that. He said he was fascinated by it. Yeah. And essentially, Ulysses is that. It's, essentially, it's kind of like a one-day biography of James Joyce, highly fictionalized, and then made bizarre, at the, especially to, towards the end. Yeah. So really, it sounds like he was influenced by that idea, I, right? I, you know, if that's, it, it seems like it, yeah. And it's it's a really enjoyable book, but it is a bit, random to to be honest and mm. you know the well, ending not too happy i'm not going to spoil the ending of course but the ending's not too happy either you kind of it doesn't all work out nicely you know oh no that's sad well okay so there's, uh, there's not a ma- there's not a massive amount to say about it if you like american psycho or if you like any of his books you might want to give it a try just see your way through the kind of boring first quarter um it's just it, you know it's nice because it gives you that slow burn of starting with reality and then gradually little bits of supernatural stuff come in, little bits of stuff that are from American Psycho come in. And you just kind of, you know, his domestic problems and things sort of all kind of unravel. Um, so it's uh, it's just a really cool concept, to be honest. And I, I did overall, I did really like it. Hmm. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, I, mean, I still like to read it because I, I really love American Psycho. Uh, also, Brett Easton announces his, his new book is coming out in January next oh, year. I didn't know that. The Shards. So it's been a good, it will have been a good 13 years uh, since the last publication. Yeah, I didn't know so, he was yeah. still writing, to be honest. Well, yeah, so good for him. Like, uh, yeah, I'd like to still give it a try. And the stream of consciousness, was that there, like an American Psycho, again, influenced yeah, by Ulysses? Yeah. Okay. That kind of random, kind of just nonstop kind of talking. Yeah, that can be enjoyable, or as you say, that can be a bit like where's this going, or even you lose track as you do with Ulysses again. So yeah, I can imagine it being off-putting and interesting at the same time, or, or both. It's got pros and cons, you know, like any literary style, you know. Cool, cool, awesome. Well, let me it? tell you about the about the book that I read. Um, I briefly mentioned this little book here. I'm showing you right there. It's called. Um, Nimsleicht, which means something like take it easy, take it lightly. Uh, as, um, I'm trying to translate um, take it easy, take it lightly, uh, as just as much a serious as well as a practical observation from L'Oreal. This sounds like a, this sounds like a philosophical essay from, this, from the 15th century, but it's not. It's a little comedic little book with some illustrations and kind of like, like kind of just 
I don't know, like um, observations from life that. And whose advice are we? This is by Lorio. So a bit of background information. Lorio is a, is a comedian. From right. This, I was hearing L'Oreal, the hair uh, product company. You know, we're both into <laughs> our, our sexy hair. Oh, indeed, yeah. Well, this is not L'Oreal. This is L'Oreal. So I get it right. So L'Oreal is a, I enjoy L'Oreal very much because he's a comedian that my grandparents would have loved. My, my mom, for example, doesn't. Very old fashioned, kind of early 60s, pre-hippie. Uh, just observations of life, little illustrations. Um, this doesn't need to be translated. This is just a book of illustrations. He's an he's a comedian. He just wrote this book of illustrations, okay. which is just which is just make me laugh. It's just stuff like, um, what is it? It's like I can I can show you one. It's kind of like a picture of someone playing a cello and then accidentally sawing the cello in in half. Right. So or there's like, no text at all, or some. There's a tiny bit of text. There's a little observation here. For example, here there's basically rhubarbs and there's a face of, of, of a rhubarb. Right. And it gives him like a whole little biography how it becomes an influential poet. Have you found uh, an interesting new way to sneak in the ninth art, PJ, uh, to sneak in the comic book? To sneak into in the, the comic show. book. I, I, you know, I've been trying desperately to do that. And it's very hard with Dean because he, always put, he, he, likes, his, he likes his classic lit. So indeed, this is comedic ninth art. Um, highly recommend it. Don't need much German for it. L'Oreal, take it easy. Take it lightly, excuse me, not take it easy. And I do want to talk about the novel I've been reading since then. Now, to be honest, Dean, I haven't, I'm only a quarter of a way finished because ah. this novel is almost 900 pages long. Whoa, long. okay, right, fair, fair. Making it longer than Anna Karenina or Ulysses. It's the seminal modern classic, excuse me, Going still back to the 1980s. I don't know why we're going so. Mm. Excuse me. No, 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 1980s. No, no. 1992, right. which is maybe the most important years of our lives. It is and our. We we were both born. We we're both born, and this is a year after American Psycho was released. The one and only, the indescribable. Well, I'm going to try and describe it. But I hope so because the show the show wouldn't be great <laughs> if you didn't. <laughs> I just leave it like that. The, the, the majestic, the one and only, the magnificent. I hope I'm I'm selling this. The the one and only, the discovery of heaven, by Harry Mullish. Now, have you ever heard of this lovely chap? I don't Harry? know it. No. Uh, in do try to certain, describe it. I do. I will try <laughs> try to describe it. Harry Mullish is. It belongs to the great three. So three authors who after Second World War were considered the seminal authors of post-war Dutch literature. We're going to hold, we're going to the Nederlands. Okay. And over here, we've got Harry Mullish. And the three authors really, the great three, they talk, they're really a bit like Germany has this exception, uh, has this obsession and Poland, Central Europe has this obsession with Second World War. To, and that's completely understandable. Yet they kind of can't seem to forgive themselves. The Germans don't ever forgive themselves. The Polish are just traumatized, so they just rewrite the stories endlessly, mm. which makes also sense. But the Dutch have a very strange kind of perspective. They're both victims, and they both feel guilty because a lot of Dutch people, as well as Austrians, collaborated with the Germans. And Harry Mullish, Harry Mullish's dad was Austrian, collaborating with the Germans, and his mother was a Jewish uh, woman, um, from Belgium, right? Um, whose parents were put into a concentration camp, and his father didn't do anything to stop that. Uh, so yes, not exactly a happy family constellation. They did divorce before the Second World War, War happened, and Harry Mullish famously stated, 
I am the Second World War, meaning okay. that he seems quite traumatized that his own dad actually, although his dad actually managed to save his and his mom's life by interfering, didn't seem to bother doing anything about the grandparents right. from the Jewish side. And he's in a very odd position, Harry Miller's growing up, being half Jewish, half Christian, half what well, you know, half betrayal, half survivor, half half hero, half villain. And in his books, these themes um, appear over and over again. But his seminal work, and this most people agree as well, is the large work called The Discovery of Heaven. I don't even need my, um, I, don't, I don't have the book with me right now, but I don't even need it. It made such a big impression. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've got to say about this book is that we've got Max and you've got uh, Ono. And these two fellows, um, are they become best friends? But how did they become best friends by divine intervention? Intervention, and this sounds like it's going very Christian. No, it's not particularly religious, the book or anything like okay. that. But it does say the premise that angels interfere to make um, because they need a savior, and they need a savior in Max. So we got this one right. angel interfering for seventy years, and he actually. <laughs> This is crazy. The angel actually makes World War One happen on purpose because wow. he needs the parents from Max to get together and make him. Because supposedly, I haven't finished the book, but supposedly World War One is better than whatever would happen. The if alternative, Max, if Max, yeah, if Max wasn't born. And well, so I have to ask PJ, are you are you going to finish this and update us next month or? Indeed, what? I will. Yes, yeah, so I won't get. This sounds long really either. good. Yeah, and then to be fair, now eight nine hundred pages. You know, it's no point. It's probably good that I'm doing this in two parts, and um, mm. it's really it's got a lot to say in the book. And um, what I find fascinating is this constant reminder that uh, Harry Miller's background really is Max's background. So Max, the character who's supposed to be the savior, he doesn't know this, but the angels have made it so that he will be a savior. Okay, um, has the same background, slightly worse. His so Max's background is that again. Jewish mother and uh, Austrian father, but the Aust- Austrian father actually didn't bother saving the mother in this alternative biography of Harry Mullish. Right. A bit like we just mentioned with uh, Redis and Ellis, kind of a fictionalized biography. I suppose for dramatic effects, w- worse, right? Because the mother actually was murdered by the father. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, it's Harry Mullish's. Harry Mullish is Max in this character, okay. in this book. So uh, it starts off with this angel talking about uh, with this which is kind of like it's not really God. It's someone like between God and archangel, right. and it's quite it's 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 unusual. I'd say it's not really what you'd expect from angels. They um, they take it all very stoically. What's going on in Earth, and they're not particularly kind of like, oh, isn't this lovely being in heaven or anything? That's more like an office job for them. Sure, and um, reminds me of the good place a little bit. Yeah, this was it is, and it has comedic elements to it. So it's not it's not really just like this Second World War thing, whatever. Um, this is not a Second World War book. This is a book set from the sixties to the eighties, mm-hmm. but it's constantly about the Second World War and about Max not really um, handling the situation very well about his backgrounds. So you got Max, and you've got his, uh, got Ono by divine intervention. They just happen to meet in the oddest circumstances, and it's just it's the whole book is about if this didn't happen, then this didn't happen. So uh, we know this, but the characters don't know this. So we've got an interesting, almost divine perspective looking down at these people. 
So it's an interesting already structure of the book. Hmm. Um, so it starts off in 1967 um, in Amsterdam, and they meet just outside Amsterdam. Um, Max gives on a lift in the middle of the night, and they just know instantly that they are basically soulmates. Uh, they're both really, really like overly intellectual and sarcastic, and no one really gets them. But now these two, they just they just get each other. But they're very different. Ono, ono is very introverted. He's constantly thinking. He's not really looking at the outside world. He's just thinking. He's a, uh, he's a, he's kind of like a language genius. He's always like his head is. It's kind of like, it's um, his head is always kind of in the clouds. But uh, Max isn't. Max is really living in the now, and he's actually, Max is always flirting with ladies, and he's uh, even his appearance is very. He's very meticulous, whereas Ono, the introvert, is very messy and, mm-hmm. and dirty. And yeah, so they're, they're both opposites, but they become best friends. And the book is very enjoyable, I'd say, for, for anyone who's into history and literature and philosophy. It really makes a huge amount of references okay. to. So it's, it's ticking some of my boxes here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd enjoy because you get all the references, I suppose, if you read. These are really. Uh, well-read uh, people they're mm. they're kind of like i'd say they're a bit outside they're outsiders i suppose because they've gone a bit too much like it's just like no one gets what they're talking about mm. and um but it's beautiful because we get the references um at least you get the references if you're into that it might not be your book if you're not into it. But if you're into that you get the references and it makes a great portrayal of the world actually from the late 60s to the 80s that's what i love Okay. So they go to, um, uh, j- jumping ahead of it, they go to Cuba and you can see really Fidel Castro. You meet a lot of famous people throughout the book that uh, appear there. And it's very interesting. Um, without getting too much into it, they become best friends. But after half a year, and they uh, quote Hegel. This is what I love about it. They, they constantly quote someone. And, oh, yeah, I didn't even know Hegel said that. Hegel said something among, along the lines of, um, oh, wasn't it beautiful when it lasted? the the summer of the light or something like that along those lines he was talking about the french revolution hegel mm. was very enthusiastic about the french revolution and he said oh wasn't it beautiful in the spring sorry not in the spring of our of our youth and then yeah the french revolution turned into more tyranny and they kind of both uh these characters kind of mentioned that they they kind of know that their friendship is falling apart actually after half a year and it becomes a bit um, confusing when Max falls in love with a with a cellist called Ada, who then nevertheless falls in love with Ono, and so whereas so you have one couple, but then she leaves Max and is with Ono, and now it's like yeah a bit of tension I suppose there. And um, whereas Max led up to that point led a very light life full of just kind of sleeping with women and just actually enjoying music and life. Now is where he starts to worry about his, his father and mother after he visits Auschwitz and we really get a real insane kind of capital, uh, mm-hmm. insane kind of, sorry, insane chapter, not capital, of that whole kind of crack of and Auschwitz. And depression starts to enter his life and they, they become a bit more risque in what they do and how how far can they push their own intelligence and the point on which i'm at is they're in cuba and um they're in a congress they've managed to somehow accidentally up accidentally end up in a revolutionary kind of rebel um um like assembly 
Right. Uh, but it's it's becoming really dark now, actually, because Ono is actually now just about to betray Ada, even though he's actually very he's actually a very loyal friend and boyfriend. But he just becomes now he becomes um what's the word? Yeah, I suppose he he just falls for a woman, and you can also tell that parrot um. <laughs> On the parallel level, Max is getting into the old alcohol, even though he never drank before. And yeah, it's it's almost the end of the first part of the book, which is the beginning of the beginning. It's called. So okay, um, so you kind of I'm, stopped at a good point. Yeah, because I, I know the next part is called the end of the beginning. So right. we'll see how it goes. Well, I can't I can't wait for a wee update uh, next month because it sounds very intriguing. It, it's highly recommend it even now because just of all the crazy references. Uh, Max, sorry, Max is an astronomer. Well, I had to mention want to mention that so there's a lot of kind of like big bang mixed up with is there a god and auschwitz and it's all kind of crazy and okay it sounds like a lot of different kind of stuff coming together i I like the sound of it totally Totally. well i just want to mention just on the topic of history real quick i've started a new history class i'm now doing the history of 19th century ireland so i just didn't have enough things to fill my time PJ, that's yeah. I just, I just think the last, the last <laughs> course on uh, how to make wigs with Agatha Christie uh, just wasn't enough for you. <laughs> or, yeah, I had just, some free minutes in my week, and I just thought, no, <laughs> can't have that. Well, look, let me yeah. move on to the to the next book I read. I was very Inter- intermediate intermediate golf course was Bill Shakespeare that kind of stuff. Yeah, doesn't it's not enough. I was even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> 